Hey, good morning, church. Let's go ahead and get to our feet. We've got a God that's worth celebrating. And this morning we get to declare that everything that we could ever want or need is found in our God. So let's put our hands together. We're gonna declare that our help comes from him and everything is found in him. Let's celebrate our God.
this morning, one of the things that we're going to be doing is after this next song, we're going to open it up for a time for you to just share any scriptures that have been on your heart, share any scripture that God has been speaking to you through. So just during this next song, I just request that you be thinking about a scripture that has meant a lot to you in this past season or that God brings to your mind. So as we prepare to share those scriptures as an act of worship with one another and to our God, just be thinking of that. I also want to take this time just to remind you that we worship through our giving as well. There'll be a slide on the screen that shows the ways that you can do that. And as we sing this next song, one of my favorite things about the week, about Sunday morning, is that as we join together, there are people in this room right now that you are singing with that are having the best week of their lives. There are celebrations happening. There are babies that have been born. There are new marriages. There are, there are just incredible blessings from God being poured out on his people. And at the same time, there are brothers and sisters in this room who may be ha having one of the worst weeks of their life. And in all these seasons, as we rejoice with those who rejoice, as we mourn with those who mourn, and all these things, we come together on Sunday mornings and through scripture, through singing, through giving, and all these things, we choose to say, blessed be the name is the Lord, no matter what we're going through. So let's turn our eyes towards that. Let's bless the name of the Lord this morning as we seek regardless and in the midst of our circumstances. Let's bless our God this morning.
So this is something that we began doing as a church several years ago, where we would just have a moment in time where people can bring scriptures for all of us to hear and receive. And, uh, and what we do is, what we would ask is that you would come up, there's a microphone on my right, microphone on my left, uh, just come up to one of the microphones and as somebody's on the other side reading, just wait. Uh, what we would ask is that you would simply give the reference of where you're reading from and then read the scripture and then go back to your seat. This is not a time for commentary or teaching. This is a time just to let the word of God speak for itself. And so we would encourage you that if there has been something that the word of God has been speaking in into your life, pay forward the blessing of that scripture in this time now with each other. And so I'll begin by reading something that I read this past week uh, from the Psalm of Ascents. And once I read this, the floor will be open. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing in his love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The floor is now open. 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have, bro have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. <clears throat> you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is from Romans 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The, the decrees of the Lord are firm. All and all of them are righteous. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ephesians 5, 13 through 17. But all things that are exposed are manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, why did the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of man. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you, may you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord. Those who go down to silence, it is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 43:19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah 42:16 And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know in paths that they have not known I will guide them I will turn the darkness before them into light the rough places into level ground these are the things I do Psalm 119, 1 to 8. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts, that you should keep them diligently, both that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. And I shall not be ashamed. When I look upon all your commandments, 
I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Daniel chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. But in my vision, at night I looked, There, there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Psalm 138, beginning in verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Paul says to Timothy that scripture is useful for teaching rebuking, and training in righteousness. We've received from this beauty, have we not? Let's pray. So Father God, I am grateful that you didn't choose silence once you created. You didn't choose silence once your creation rebelled. You didn't choose silence even when your creation rebelled after receiving mercy. No, you gave the written word, born of your spirit, coming from your heart, so that we can know exactly where your heart is at. We can know your character. We can know your will. And we can see how it is we're to live. And then to have received the living word, exemplified and modeled by Jesus himself, we can then see how to engage others when the word is fully flowing through us. So we receive not only the written word, but the living word today. May you use it to penetrate our hearts, that we can become more like you and become the light of the world as you call us to be. Jesus, it's in your name I pray.
before there was light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him He who heard humanity's cry Left His throne to wake as a child He became like the least of us Behold Him Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the Roaring Lion, oh, be still and behold Him.
speaking to us and encouraging us through it and through your body of believers. Continue to draw us to you and to your feet and to your word, whether it's a season of joy or of deep pain and grief or doubt. Despite our season, I pray that we would be quick to dismiss the lies of the enemy and cling to the truth that we find in your word and cling to the fact that you are good and you're sovereign overall. May we be people who can still sing, blessed be your name, despite our season. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Man, already just so rich. I, I took a day of prayer on Friday and just was reading through a lot of Psalms and uh, to hear so many of them and a lot from Isaiah today. Uh, that wasn't lost upon me either. And Isaiah is a very powerful uh, book with much prophecy that foreshadows Christ. And uh, so, man, dive into the word and it'll rich your soul. Uh, you put more time into the Word of God and less time into other things uh, that, that might inform your mind, uh, you're, you're going to find your, your temperament, your spirit, your outlook being very different. And uh, so just consider that a, a free contribution to you this morning. The rest of this will cost you. Um, so having said that, if you're new here, my name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LEFC, and uh, we're in a series out of the book of James. It's one of the more quoted books of scripture uh, because it is a text that is very applicable, uh, and we've titled the series, Give It, to a, Give it to Me Straight, because that's what Paul does, is, I mean, uh, James does, is that he goes at a, pretty much a lot of the things that the average human being deals with on a daily basis and uh, goes at it very bluntly. And uh, there's not a soft edge to James. 
Uh, I will also be honest, uh, Martin Luther didn't like the book of James either. And so, but part of what he did is he, he felt like maybe there was an overabundance of looking at what it, what it looks like to uh, do salvation by works. And that's not what James is speaking to. But keep in mind that for Martin Luther, he was in the midst of, of being a, a priest in the Catholic Church, which at the time was teaching a lot about salvation by works. And he knew it was by grace through faith alone, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says. So we're in James. We've, we're only in the beginning. Of, we've done two weeks so far. This is week three. And on week one, we looked at in James 2 through 1, verses 1 to 4, it's talking about trials come to us got through God's permission. You know, God's sovereignty is in action. That when trials happen, they're for the purpose of helping us mature so that we don't lack anything. Trials have the ability to strengthen people when you go through it. Now, a lot of the trials we go through are due to the sins that are around us, but God doesn't remove us from the consequences of those things because he knows. It reminds us over and over that God is at work in us and that we need his help in the things that go on in our lives. And so uh, that's why he says that when we go through trials, consider it joy for what it might produce in you and that you will then grow into maturity, not lacking anything. But if you do lack while going through the trials in verses uh, 5, 6, uh, and 7, it talks about this idea that, that if you are lacking, especially wisdom in going through the trials, we're to ask God to help us know how to go through those trials. Ask for wisdom. But when we ask, don't doubt. Because doubt can be kind of the enemy to the soul as we engage God. It can become that barrier. And so we worked through what doubt and prayer uh, looks like last week. And, and honestly, that's such a heavy sermon. I don't want to get into it too much. With, and then you were going to be like, thinking of a lot of questions. So what I would encourage you to do, if you did not hear last week's message, go back and listen to it because it might liberate some things in your prayer life between you and God. Today, we're going to be in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1, and that is where G James is going to give us the perspective then of how we can look at trials through God's eyes. And so if you could open your Bibles now to James chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, our ushers will be glad to provide you one. And if you don't own a Bible, keep this one as a gift from us. Uh, we also utilize an app called the Version app, Y-O-U. And uh, you'll find in there under the events tab, uh, LEFC. And if you tap on that, it'll show all the scriptures uh, we'll be using today. So let's go ahead, for the sake of make, making sure we keep the context of the verses, uh, even though we're doing verses 9 to 11 today, we're going to start in verse 2 of James chapter 1, and we'll read to verse 11. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. 
Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride then in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So I got a question for you. When was the last time you heard somebody say, I memorized James 1 verses 9 to 11? No, not, not really. Not unless they memorize maybe the entirety of James chapter 1. Uh, it's not a popular set of verses. Uh, it doesn't have that real strong uh, draw to you uh, when you read it. I mean, after all, it's talking about, you know, rich and poor, which, by the way, is a common theme in the book of James. So in this, in verses 9 to 11, still under the context of Considering it joy when you face trials of many kinds because what God wants to do is produce in you maturity, perseverance, so that you don't lack anything. And he's already talked about if you do lack, pray about it. And if you have doubts, you need to confess it, work through it. But then he gets into, oh, and trials do something else. They create an awareness of need for God. And to the rich person and to the poor person, this journey looks different. So the two classes of people, rich and poor, is who's he, who he's addressing. So I now have to decide as communicator to all of you, do I treat you as poor or do I treat you as rich? So because the application, quite frankly, is determined by your classification. So let me take a stab at why I'm going to focus on one over the other. So if you are an American you are most likely rich. 39% of the world's millionaires are American. To give you contrast, China is second at 9.9%. Japan is third at 5.4%. So 39% of the world's uh, millionaires are American. 31% of the world's global wealth is American. A third of the world's wealth is American. The bottom 10% of America is wealthier than 70% of the world. To put that just even a little bit more acutely, our bottom 5% in America is as rich as the top 5% in India, the most populated country in the world. Now you're saying, no, wait, wait, wait a second. Things are tough for us. Some of you might be like going through financial hardship. But here's the reality. What determines whether or not you're impoverished or whether you are rich is determined by, do you have a roof over your heads? Have you been able to eat? Do you have clothes to wear? Now, in America, we know that there are parts that are more poor than others. We know that in our own area and region, there are people who are poorer than others. But the reality is, even in our area, Lancaster County, which is one of the wealthiest counties in our state and one of the wealthiest counties in our country, even here, we have people that, you know, have lesser and things are difficult for them. But 
There is no excuse. There is a roof to be found over your head. That's why we give significantly to ministries like Water Street Ministry, so that for people that are going through a season of hardship, that there can be a roof over their head. There are food banks in almost every community of our county. There are clothing banks that are accessible everywhere here in our county. When you travel to other places in the world, and I've had um, the privilege of traveling, but I have seen what poor looks like. When you walk into a shanty and a family of eight to 10 are in a single room that's smaller than the shed that holds my mower. And they have a single bed in that room. And that's usually for mom and dad and the littlest of ones and anybody else finds a place on the ground. Food storage. There isn't any. They go out and find what that day can bring. Clothes. They don't have dressers or closets because what they're wearing is all they have. You see, even the poorest among us are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. We just only get to the opportunity of comparing to each other. And then that's where we start classifying ourselves as well, I'm on the poorer side or I'm on the richer side. The reality is, is we're so blessed here in America. We are so blessed. So forgive me if you are offended by this, but I'm going to treat each of you as rich. Because I believe that is actually what you are. Even if you're going through the most difficult of financial hardships right now, there are opportunities that God can provide and that this country provides to help you get through such a season. I've walked through some pretty horrific financial devastations with people, and I've seen how this country and the Lord works in those contexts. So I'm going to treat you as blessed ones for being Americans, for being in this country and having much. And when you look at this, then we're going to just... Slightly address verse 9 and significantly address verses 10 and 11. So verse 9, let's reread it. It says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So those who are poor and going through a trial, because again, this is under the context of going through trials. So in a trial, a poor person should celebrate their high position in the kingdom of God. Now, why is this so? Because typically on this earth, a poor person is at a great disadvantage as compared to the wealthy. The poor person can't buy themselves out of a difficult situation. They can't also have as much influence in getting all the medical support that they might want. Uh, there might be the opportunity to be able to address and meet those needs in other places, but they can't afford to travel. But in the kingdom of God... The poor person is treated with high regard and receives all the best care of God. And so therefore, the poor person can celebrate, as it says, in their high position. Because in the kingdom of God, they are not treated as a lesser in the kingdom. They're treated as great. In fact, when it was talking about the coming of the Messiah and what would be the markers of his ministry... It's found in the book of Isaiah and read by Jesus in John chapter 4. 
when he goes into, I'm sorry, not in John chapter 4, but later in John, when he goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he reads the passage out of Isaiah where it says, and he will proclaim good news to the, the poor. It's the first statement that, that good news comes to the poor. When Jesus was asked, what can, what can pure religion look like? And what can purity of faith between us and God look like? What does, what does it look like to serve God and show love to God? The poor was always a leading example of where God shows up. And where God is pleased. That when we help the poor and we give to the poor and when the poor are given seats at the table and not treated as secondary citizens because in the kingdom of heaven they are treated as firstborns. So for them, when they are going through the difficulty of life here on this earth as poor people, they know this is not their home. They know this isn't the best it can be. They know that they are in need of God, and they know that they want to long for something greater. And so therefore, the poor are more blessed than the rich person because they know the kingdom of God is better. They know it. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom in Luke chapter 6. For theirs is the kingdom, because they know, they know they will come. Jesus even talks about this great banquet. And he invited all the typical people that get invited to banquets. But they didn't show up because they didn't find it great enough. So what did he do? He went to the alleys. He went to the back roads. He went to the people that were not on the first parts of the guest list. And they were the ones that got to enjoy the favor of the Lord at the great banquet. You see, the poor acknowledge they're in need of God. And the poor acknowledge Things will get better with God. They know it. They're convinced of it. Life every day tells them that. For the rich person, though, in verse 10, it says, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. In other words, a rich person going through a trial should boast in their humbling because they are reminded that they are in need of God. A rich person going through a trial should be boasting about the fact that they're being humbled in this moment, recognizing that, yes, they need God. If you remove trials from the lives of believers, what do you think would happen to us? We'd forget who God is. We would forget that we're in need of him. Just in the past few weeks, some of the wealthiest people in the world have died. Money could not spare them death. Money could not spare them sickness. It came to them just like it did anybody else. And when we go through hard things that money can't fix, we're reminded that we need God. Jesus speaks to the issue of wealth regularly. And by the way, I just want to make it abundantly clear. You're not going to find in Scripture a charge or a commandment that says, do not be wealthy. There is no such commandment in Scripture, but there is a lot of Scripture about the warnings of wealth 
becoming the substance of who you are, and the charge for those who are wealthy to be generous. It's listed regularly that we should receive, what we've received, we should give out of our abundance to others as a blessing to the rest of the world. So that's been given. But let's look very quickly at some of the warnings that Jesus gives in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 12, there is a particular situation that is very interesting to me because Jesus just finished in the first few verses of Luke 12 telling people that you should not worry when you get brought before the councils or the judgment seat for this living out the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's telling them, you're going to go out, you're going to share the gospel, you're going to live out Jesus, and there are going to be people that are not going to like it. They're going to arrest you. You're going to come before judges. You're going to possibly even face death. But don't worry when that happens because when it does, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say because you might feel ill-equipped to speak the gospel before such educated people. And Jesus says, no, no, don't worry about it. The Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. So after saying something so intense, he literally finishes right there. So don't worry, I will give you the words to say when you're under such duress. And then a young man raises his hand, says, Lord. And everybody in the room is like, I wonder what he's going to say about the Spirit. He says, Lord, can you uh, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? Does anybody else find that a little jolting? That if you were in the audience of listening to Jesus give instructions to people about what's going to happen to you when you share my gospel to other places and that you're going to possibly be brought before councils and judges, don't worry, I'm going to help you. I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to speak on your behalf. And then some young man raises his hand and all he's consumed and worried about is his share of the inheritance. How does Jesus handle that moment? Well, he says to them a parable that talks about how foolish it is to, for a rich man to just build all his bigger barns. And then he finishes the barn and he dies. And now he's completely bankrupt before God because everything he did on this earth stayed on the earth. Nothing was connected to God. So what Jesus warned that audience that day is do not be consumed with pursuing worldly wealth as your security. See, that young man could not get to that place of trusting in Jesus Christ to advance the kingdom through him. He was more like, no, I've got to handle my business first. I've got to make sure that I'm secure. And then I can stand more strongly in these other places. His security was completely bent towards what he had, that he missed what Jesus was offering. So avoid, as Jesus says, wealth becoming your security or where wealth becomes where you invest because investing there to a fault, you will become completely bankrupt in your soul. And when you stand before God, it's not going to be what you want to hear. 
Jesus also says this in Matthew chapter 6. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about all the things about the law, but going deeper with it. And, and he says in Matthew 6 that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. So we are to invest there. But then he speaks on as, as that money becomes this master to us. That, my, that, that we have to ultimately decide who's our master. Is it going to be the wealth of the world or is it going to be God? And Jesus says, you're going to hate one of them. You're either going to hate me or you're going to hate the wealth. You're going to become devoted to one of them. You're going to become devoted to me and despise the wealth. Or you're going to become devoted to your wealth and despise me. Now, why is that so? Because you cannot follow two. You're going to follow one. And when you're following the one, the other is regularly chirping at you saying, no, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And you'll become despising of the one that you're not following. So if you're following after money, basically what it's saying is you're going to despise God because he's going to regularly remind you, money does not have a great end game. Money is going to fail you. And every time you get reminded of the frailty of life and that trials come, it's a reminder that money cannot save you. And you want to just like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Jesus says, listen, you're going to hate one. You're going to hate me or you're going to hate your money for what it does in our relationship. Or you're going to be devoted to one of us and despise the other because it becomes the, the, the enemy to your soul. And then lastly, another situation where Jesus speaks to this. And, and, and it's in Matthew chapter 19. And, and the context is this. A, a rich man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? Fantastic question. And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. And then gives a list, and the young man's like, yeah, I've done all that since I was a kid. And then Jesus says, all right, now sell everything you have and give it away. The young man, young ruler, hung his head and walked away because he was extremely wealthy he was willing to do everything for God except for don't ask this one thing of me. Don't ask this one thing of me. Don't ask of me that which I own. Everything else is good, but don't ask me this. And that's what God asked. And then Jesus took the moment after that man walks away and he looks at his disciples and he says, you know, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did a James moment, if you will, where he gives it to you straight that it is difficult for a rich man to come to Jesus. It is difficult for a rich man to come to Jesus. Remember where we started this sermon. Who am I talking to? We're all rich. And Jesus has just said something very, very blunt. It's difficult for you and I 
to come to Jesus. To which the disciples said back to Jesus, that's impossible. That cannot be done. To which then Jesus responds, what is impossible to man is possible with God. It is difficult for a rich person to come to Jesus. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. Nor can a rich man come to God on his own merits. It requires a miracle of God changing the heart of the rich person. I found it interesting that when I read James verses 1, verses 9 to 11 in the paraphrase called the message, how blunt it was in assessing the journey of the rich person. So hear this in a paraphrase, okay? In other words, it's, it's, it's an observation of Scripture, rewriting Scripture through maybe more earthy language. It says this, When down and outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, that the flower withers. Its petals wilt, and before you know it, the beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. You see, if the substance of who we are is based on the things that we've attained or we've pursued, that we've given all our life to and all our efforts to, if it's just merely for attainment, you have poorly invested because you never know at what day or hour your life ends. Death comes to both the rich and the poor. And trials are the great equalizer here on this earth. Trials do not show favoritism to the amount of your wealth. Oh, they're really wealthy. We're not going to come to you. No, no, no. Trials are the great equalizers. They come to all of us, regardless of how much wealth you have. And trials, therefore, remind us. They remind us that we are in need of God's saving grace. If you had all that your heart desires here on this earth, the fun things in life, the great things in life, the house, the car, money to do vacations, money to travel, money to just simply go out whenever you please, to have abundance of food, to choose to have steak meals once or twice, three or four times a week. What do you get? What's the end? If you keep building your businesses more and more, if you keep building your life just for having that next thing, what do you get? Some of us will maybe lower it to say, well, I'm trying to do as much as I can so that my children can have what I didn't have when I grew up. And then your children can have that same moment with Jesus. 
Can you tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? Have we really helped our children? If that's what you've made your life about. When you go through the trial, it's again the reminder that life is frail. Life is not given. And the things that the world says we should invest in to a fault cannot solve the problems that trials bring. And then that's where God does his best work in us. Is that when we come to that place of acknowledging, I need God. And that God wants to do something great in my soul. And to cause the money that I'm holding like this to now all of a sudden be like this. Then God can use the things that you've attained in this life and purify those things. And then they no longer become your master. And then you get to be the generous one for the sake of God's kingdom. You see, I believe that God has blessed our country because there have been many generous ones from what they've received. Lancaster County, I have already said, is one of the wealthiest counties in our country. It is also one of the most generous counties in our country. That's why there are more non-pros per capita in this county. It's because they know how generous we are. But don't let that fool you. We can sometimes be generous just so that we can appease that which we're wrestling with internally. We still may make our lives all about attainment. We still may be living our lives where money is our master and we do the generosity thing just to appease a soul that is stirring and is unsettled. The trial reminds you, you need grace. You haven't earned anything with God other than judgment. But God in his mercy and in his grace loves you in spite of you and has paid an incredible price for you through his son Jesus so that you can find life free from the bondage of wealth so that your wealth doesn't own you but your wealth becomes a conduit for things that God can do great through you. So I want to give you some steps. So we're all under this disease of having much. So how can we loosen the grip of wealth in our souls? So I want you to just shut your Bibles for a moment. Turn off your tablets and your phones. And I want you to have a moment with God. And I want, as Jesus was very straight, that what's impossible for man is possible with God. That what Jesus said about wealth can become a master and it, and it can drive you. I want you to ask God this question. What is the truth about you and money? What is the truth about you and money? Can you go before God now and receive from him the truth of the condition of your soul in regards to the abundance of wealth that we have in this country and the pursuit of that wealth. If you are sinning in those areas or it's become your master, 
Are you willing to hear from God the truth? Secondly, if truth has been revealed to your soul and your heart on these things, invite God into the spaces where he's not been invited before. Invite God to be the master of those spaces that maybe you've never allowed him before. Maybe it's over your career pursuits. Maybe it's over the things that you have built up around you, your, your home, your cars, your possessions of various kinds. Maybe even your family is something that you have looked to attain and they stand higher than God. Invite God to be the Lord of those areas of revealed spaces. And thirdly, one of the best things you can do to begin to loosen the grip of wealth over our lives, and hear me when I say this, beyond the tithe, beyond the tithe, we're told in Scripture throughout, we give 10%. Like, that's, that's just not even ours. But even when we give of the tithe and we give that 10%, it can become such a pattern that it's no longer in the mindful side of things. What does it look like to become generous beyond the tithe? Where generosity can become more of a practice of your life. One of the beautiful things of the early church is that people that had need, needs were met because the rich within the church were generous. They helped out where there was need. Beyond their ties. This was beyond that. They were generous. That's where God begins to rule over. When we realize, like, okay, what's God is God's. And then we're like, and the rest is still God's. It's still God's. We just get to use it now with the privilege of freedom. So, Father God, we are blessed and we are grateful. But we also acknowledge that the very things we're grateful for can become a little bit of a cancer to our soul where we can just even in seasons of our life, after walking so tightly with you, all of a sudden become just a little off course and choosing to pursue things to a fault of attainment. And we're not willing to give you control because we're afraid of what you might ask of us. So God, I'm going to pray this prayer saying that if you would just tenderize our hearts to a place where we release those things that we have not allowed you to be master of, that, that in your mercy in your mercy, that we won't have to experience the trials to be made aware of our need for you. But God, if there be stubbornness in our hearts, if there be a hardness in our hearts of releasing something to you, then let the trials come 
to teach us anew. We need you. But even in that, Lord, be merciful, we would ask. We recognize we are stiff-necked and hard-hearted at times. So, Lord, may your spirit just move us to better places so that we can know that we need you and that you are Lord and master over all that we own and have, including our own lives. Speak to us now, Lord, that we may be obedient going forward. In Jesus' name. This morning, we started this morning by singing, all that we want, all that we need is found in you. We're going to close this out with this message in our hearts, just committing and reminding ourselves again that every hope, every gift, everything that we cling to is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So church, let's stand together. Let's cling to our Savior.
So last week, when we talked about going to God when we lack, that shouldn't be lost in connection to this text today about the rich and the poor and how they handle trials and acknowledging that as a rich person, we need to boast that God is humbling us. And that's good. But then we go to God where we lack. And if you remember last week, I shared a part that Jesus said when we're talking about prayer and engaging God for what we need, that God is, he's not this over-oppressive uh, joy killer that says, like, I am, I am hard on you and that I, am, I won't help you. He is that gentle father. He is that one that loves you enough that he will allow you to experience a trial so you can see that you need him, but then he's there to help you through it. And in the text, Jesus says, if you just have even faith like this, like that of a mustard seed, things can happen. We just go to God and watch him work. And somebody this week left this on, uh, had this delivered to me. It says, Tony, pondering Sunday's sermon and the four takeaways, thought this visual reminder is so helpful. And it's a jar of mustard seeds. So I say thank you to whoever gave it to me. But there's enough mustard seeds in here to say to all of us, take a hold, go before God with whatever faith you have, go to him and let him work in you. So if God revealed something in you where maybe wealth has really got a strong grip on you in whatever area that might be, with the faith of a mustard seed, go to him and then watch him work. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to pray with you. I'll also be up front. We want to keep going to God because what is impossible for you and I is possible with him. Amen? God bless. Have a good rest of your day.